Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Daniel Markin with In Doubt, and today I have Dr. Mark Mayfield on the program with us today. Amazing discussion that we have around mental health. Mark has been working with Christians, with non-Christians. He's a certified counselor. So looking forward to having you enter into the discussion as we talk about mental health, as we talk about how we go forward as Christians, especially coming out of COVID, and look forward to the future. We talk about community as well and the importance of that. So hope this episode is helpful to you. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Mayfield. Mark, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure, Daniel. Thank you. Um, I'm really, really excited about this episode. And uh, I know we were just chatting before the show, but you have a, uh, a lot of interesting credentials besides your name. <laughs> uh, you are a, a board-certified counselor, and you've been kind of doing a lot of time thinking and talking about and, and speaking. You know, you mentioned teaching at universities. Um, but one of the things that you've kind of been honing in on recently, which I think is so, so important, is this idea of loneliness. Uh, you know, I want to talk a lot about that today, but also just hear from you a little bit about some of your ministry, some of your life, some of your family. So I don't know, why don't we start there? Mark, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you even, you know, got into the work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I'm, you know, I come from Colorado, I live in a small town called Monument, uh, about seven, 8,000 people, and just love kind of the small town vibe, really close to Denver and Colorado Springs, but uh, have been in the counseling field uh, for about 15 years. Before that, I was a youth and family pastor, in a small mountain town uh, near Breckenridge, Colorado, uh, and did that for about four years, four or five years. You know, before that, uh, I you know was at university and uh, had my own mental health journey. Uh, I talk about this in my book, uh, The Path Out of Loneliness. But I uh, am a suicide survivor, and uh, just in some ways, my own journey into health has led me into my own journey to help care for people. And that's why I'm so uh, passionate about this topic: is that we need to have more and more ambassadors. Uh, or as I call them, kingdom advocates to really walk alongside people that are struggling with mental health, struggling with relational health, struggling with loneliness. And so uh, currently I teach at Colorado Christian University in their clinical mental health master's program. And I also am a founder and CEO of Mayfield Counseling Centers. I've got 30 counselors here in Colorado Springs and, and do about 13 to 1500 appointments a month. And then you know, this this book is kind of happenstance. It came out of this, the message, and publishers loved it and picked it up. And uh, so it's getting ready to release. And I'm just thrilled about getting that message out and putting practical tools in the hands of the church. And it's so, I think what, what you're doing right now is so important, especially at the moment that you're doing it, us coming out of COVID. And, you know, things seem like they're opening up, but then it's like, man, are we going to be heading for more lockdowns? I don't know if anyone has any idea. I do know that people have been feeling so lonely. And that's something that even in my ministry, because I've been doing some youth and young adults ministry, Vancouver is known as one of the loneliest cities in the world. Um, you mentioned that you're doing up to, what, 1,300 counseling sessions with your company 
per month and like how many people who are really struggling right now, especially uh, with COVID, especially with loneliness. And can you just comment a little bit briefly on what isolation and self-isolation, the effects of that have been on people? Because my understanding for self-isolation is we do that to criminals, right? Uh, as, a, as a form of punishment. Uh, my wife and I are just watching, do you remember the show Prison Break? It was on in like like 2004. We're watching Prison Break right now. And that was one of the main themes is one of the characters is locked up in self-isolation and it's his form of punishment, right? And every once in a while, he's given opportunities to speak with people and, and be in relationship with them. But I'm convinced that it goes against the design of humanity to have relationship taken away from you. But I'd love to hear how you understand that and maybe even provide some more insight onto what isolation is doing physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually to people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is astounding. And I think one of the things that, uh, uh, probably the reason that I was so passionate about this message and, and wrote this was, uh, and, and the kind of the, the backstory to this is that I signed the contract for this book uh, three and a half weeks before COVID hit. So if you can think about just the providence of God with the message, I mean, something I've been seeing historically in uh, the work that I've been doing that this was coming, right? I mean, it's just kind of the writing is on the wall, especially with uh, the type of society that we're becoming uh, where we're hiding behind screens when we're engaging in conversations around the kind of tribalistic mindset around uh, social media. We jump on the bandwagons to belong and to believe and that kind of stuff. And we don't uh, really engage in those face-to-face connections. And we think that in a lot of ways, we think that it's... um, a supplemental, it's equal, like two plus two equals four type of thing when it comes to, you know, we can be on social media and we can have a relationship or we can be Zoom. Like you and I, you know, are enjoying this conversation right now, but we're we're connected over Zoom. But, you know, how much more rich could the conversation be if we were in the same room together, right? And we were feeling each other's emotions and the energy of the excitement around these kinds of things. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of like what's the cart before the horse. Does loneliness beget isolation? Or does isolation beget loneliness and does it, you know, and how does that cycle continue? And I think, you know, we have not seen the full force of the effects of COVID yet. I think that's coming. I think, and, and I'm not trying to be fatalistic. I'm not trying to be, um, you know, uh, go overboard, but I think in a lot of ways, you know, the effects of COVID are, are on the mental health piece are coming. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's frightening in some ways because we are not only being bombarded with you know, 24 hour news, but we're being bombarded by every notification that pops up on our social media. And so we think that being connected to the world in this way is a good thing, but we're connected to a screen versus connected to a person. And uh, you know, I think that is where I would I say that isolation begets loneliness. And that's where the cycle, in my opinion, begins. Yeah, there is a, an interesting like dynamic of feeling connected and feeling in control because you know what's going on around you. But then at the same time, you can know everything that's going around you, but you actually can't do anything about that. And I imagine that bringing on lots of, of anxiety to people too because you, you feel this enormous pressure of wanting to like prepare, but you can't, right? You, oh, these things are, things are looking horrible. Things are like collapsing, but I can't do anything about it. And you just wonder if like the constant bombardment, like you meant notifications, uh, alarmism, alarmism, right? Everything's fatalistic. Everything's ending. It's the worst. And these headlines are huge, 
because you know a lot of businesses like make money off the clicks, right? So you have so many different things competing there. But even like, and I would I want to ask you this because I've I've often wondered on the news when you watch the news and you see stuff about COVID and it's like COVID cases uh, 125 in the last 24 hours, right? It's in all caps. What does like all caps communicate to people as they're seeing this on, on TV, as they're seeing this on social media? Because I'd love to hear what you think. Because to me, it just like, it's like screaming, like terror, everything's ending. Well, it is, it is. It's like you're yelling, being yelled at. You think about when somebody texts you and it's in all caps, how do you take that without seeing them face to face? They're mad at me. Are they, are they trying to emphasize something? What is this? I mean, I, I've been talking to my daughters about this. It's in some ways, it's manipulative propaganda is what it is. Um, because if, I mean, think about this. What if we talked that way on the news about mental health? Like how, how many people are dying daily from suicide? How many people are dying daily? Now, I don't want to negate the effects of COVID, right? I mean, it, like I've had COVID. It's not fun. I've had family members that have died from COVID. Like I, I, I get the effect of it. But like you said, 125 new cases. Okay, is that in my city? Is that my neighborhood? Is that, you know, in my state, in my province? Like what, like, what are we talking about here? And, you know, and, and some things, all things, you know, and so that some things are just relative too. And we can't differentiate that. Yeah. Well, and that's and like the thing where they're saying we have cases exploding in India, like 3,000 new cases in a day. You're like, wait a minute, they have a billion people. <laughs> like, and right. Yes. Yeah. So I guess like a lot of context is key, but it, it, with everything coming at us so fast in social media, maybe we don't have time for a lot of that context. Um, you were mentioning, you know, a lot of these things haven't even played out yet. You're, they're going to play out. Uh, the effects of COVID are going to be happening over the next, um, you know, five, 10 years. Can you give us a brief, you know, give your prediction, uh, I mean, through your research, through your study of past like research as well, right? And, and just noticing patterns. What do you think the mental health landscape uh, or the effects of COVID are going to look like five years from now and 10 years from now? Well, let me just put you in, in perspective. You know, um, I think in just, I don't know if it was like, uh, in six months time frame, we had 93,000 new overdoses. So overdoses are on the rise, right? You know, suicides are up uh, across the board and not, not just across the board in the typical subgroups. Now I'll say this and I'll preface this is that suicide has traditionally been an upper a middle class, upper middle class issue among predominantly white Caucasian families. And again, I have maybe not the time to get into that conversation, but there's reasons behind that. But we have seen sharp spikes among the Latino, Latinx populations, uh, the black populations, uh, traditionally families that don't have suicidal issues. We've seen those increase. You know, with research, if, if it's increased 0.01%, that's st statistically significant. We're seeing things increase 2, 3, 4, 5, 10% across the board. And so I think with the isolation, we're going to see a lot more overdoses, a lot more suicides. And, um, you know, a lot more of anxiety and depression that are going to be popping up that are going to be really difficult to engage in. Now, I, I do spend a lot of time in the book really talking through how, as a church, we can respond to these things. And I think that we don't, we don't have to get to that five-year, 10-year prediction. I think there's a lot of things that we can do to mitigate that. 
but it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take us stepping into our own anxieties and fears around the unknown. Um, but, I, you know, I know I have a God that is all powerful, all knowing and, and walks with us in this, you know? And so I think we have to put that, that fear aside as we desire to engage uh, those around us. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I love about Christianity and one of the most important things of Christianity is this idea of community. And it's been amazing as we've been like, uh, like those two are so closely linked um, in my studies. Like I just came to the end of my master's here. One of the things I've seen is that when Christ saves a person, right? It's, it's not just, it is an individual saving, right? The relationship between God and man is restored first and foremost. But directly afterwards, you are saved into a family. And so relationship is like, I, I feel like fruit isn't a strong enough word for it. That the saving of that relationship, it's like you are now adopted into this new family, brought into this new family of relationship, and, and which is the church. And so that's an essential part of being a Christian is being with one another in community. Well, I'll say think about this for a second. Scientifically, the brain does not reach its fullest potential unless it's in a trusting, safe relationship with somebody else. We actually have uh, science that shows our cardiovascular system does not operate. Our veins are actually restricted when we're not in a safe relationship with somebody else. So it increases heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Our immune system, our stress response is actually kept on. So the cortisol that is dripping in our system that keeps that fight, flight, or freeze going is actually turned on unless we're in a safe, trusting relationship with somebody else. And so we're finding that there is a direct correlative link between loneliness, relational loneliness, and cancer rates and cardiovascular rates and uh, immune, immune response rates and that kind of stuff. And so it's just, it's fascinating how, it's not, I'm not, we shouldn't be surprised, but it's fascinating how creative God is that these things are interlaced. You know, and research shows that a healthy marriage, people live five to 10 years longer in a healthy marriage. Unreal. That's not surprising to me that, especially like uh, that. So if you, if you take cancer, it's not surprising to me that someone would actually not survive as long with cancer, right? Like the will to live, the will to fight, a lot of that could disappear if someone's alone. But that's interesting to me that they actually are higher, there's a higher percentage of them developing it. That, that's insane to me. Yeah. Well, you think about it. So, uh, I mean, it's, it, to, to really put it simply, is that when we are in relational fight, flight, or freeze mode, our, our sympathetic nervous system is turned on, our parasympathetic nervous system hasn't kicked in so that we don't have the ability to calm down. So we're always in heightened alert relationally. Um, cortisol, the stress hormone, is actually, it's like the, the faucet that's kept on over a, a rock, and over time that rock is eaten away. Well, our immune response is depleted, so our, our body can't fight infection the way it used to because of our stress response. And as the immune system decreases, it opens it up more to infection. And so uh, when the infection comes, it's stronger. And so people have a more difficult time recovering. And, you know, and so, but the, the mitigative factor in all of that is the quality of relationships, whether it be familial, you know, church, friends. Yeah, and, so, and all those exist oftentimes at church. But what happens when, if in the fall, right, I'm anticipating another wave or something, right? And they, they lock down people again. What can we do? if we can't be with one another? I think find ways to get around it. Not in a, not in a like go against the government way, but like, like it's going to be a lot of work on the church, but mask up 
and and take a you know doorbell ditch a picnic and you sit on the lawn and they sit on the front porch you have community there's just there's got to be ways that we can you know be creative in that you know nothing replaces sitting in a living room and and having a meal or sitting in a dining room and having a meal but you know my dad uh had a, a, a pretty big cancer scare almost died right before covid and then into covid and you know when he was healing we didn't want to get too close to them and so we, we did that we went to their house and we packed you know boxed up uh, some food and we sat on the lawn they sat on the front porch and we had conversation and we were close enough to see each other um, but kept our distance and you know so i think there's there's definitely ways that we can avoid or uh, avoid but uh, engage in that and then you know zoom groups is is, a, is an alternative i think too it's not ideal because we know that the proximity of of being with each other is important you know, parts of our brain actually don't fire uh, relationally and emotionally unless we're in the same room together. Yeah, and you know what? I, I want to even say this. I think one of the most healing things for me during COVID was planning things that are just fun, especially as the church, Yes. right? Like getting yep. together and laughing. It doesn't have to be this like deep Bible study. It doesn't have to be, you know, something where it's, it's like, it's a lot of work. And because and, for some people, that's really stressful. I think it should be also fun. Being a community should be fun. Laughing is important, and I, laughing is important for mental health, right? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, the receptors that are, you know, the the feel good dopamine neurotransmitters that are sh- kicked off in laughter and serotonin and all that kind of stuff. It's so good. Let me ask you this then: as we're thinking about, you know, because this this show is for young adults, aimed at young adults, right? As a young adult, what are some really practical steps? that, uh, you know, you've seen this in your research, maybe you actually as a counselor recommend this to, to young adults, people that you're counseling, or just, you know, anyone in general. What are some practical things that we can do in order to like maintain like stronger mental health uh, in the months going forward so that we do not become part of that five-year, 10-year window of increased anxiety, depression? What are some things that, you know, because a lot of times, Yes, we need to have faith. Yes, we need to believe in the Lord, but we have human agency in that too. There's practical things that we have to put into practice. Otherwise, uh, we will suffer. So what are some practical things mm-hmm. we could do? Well, I, I think the number one thing, and this is where if you can do this, you're, you're breaking through and you're winning half the battle, is, is really take stock, honest stock of where you're at. Uh, I think what I've noticed with, with young adult generation, my generation, you know, and then uh, other generations as well is that we have a hard time reflecting on our own status. Like, where are we in this? How am I doing? You know, am I, am I using food or pornography or am I using other types of addictions to numb out how I'm really doing? Am I ignoring it? Am I avoiding it? You know, and so I think really uh, allowing us to take stock. So I love journaling. Not, it's not for everybody, but I love pulling a journal out and just asking, you know, just asking the question, how am I? Like, how, truly, how am I? Well, I'm struggling today and I'm, I'm feeling, I'm struggling with bouts of loneliness. Why? Because I haven't, whatever that may be, you know, and I, I've, there's, um, I ask a bunch of questions in the book of just kind of reflective pieces, but it is just taking stock of where I'm at, honest stock where I'm at and sitting with that tension. I think we, a lot of times don't realize that tension is the only way that we can grow. When we feel tension, it, it moves us, it should move us, either moves us forward or moves us backwards. It should move us forward. And if we, we sit with that tension, we can propel ourselves forward to grow. And that's where I want uh, young adults that are listening to think about this too. There's no such thing as good or bad emotions. They're just, they're just emotions. And some are easier to deal with and others 
but if we can look at them as neither good or bad, they just are. They're indicators like an engine light on our car. They're indicators of where we're at and how we're doing. Now we can sit with them. We can learn with them. And I always uh, use the phrase, what would it be like to become old friends with your emotions? So you're not surprised by them. You're not scared by them. You know how to sit with them and engage them and, and grow from them. I think that's step number one, to be honest. And that takes time. It takes discipline. It takes time. I think the second thing is asking yourself, who in my life is a friend and a mentor? And I think we need both. We need people that are speaking into our lives and challenging us from a mentor standpoint. It could be a counselor. It could be a pastor. It could be a spiritual advisor. But somebody that is older than us speaking in. So I think a lot of times I'm seeing with just generations and young adults, we like to surround ourselves with people that are like-minded in the same age. But we need people that have gone before. And we need people that can speak into that wisdom piece for us as well. I'm a big, and this might come to a shock to you, but uh, uh, insert sarcasm there, uh, <laughs> is that, you know, is that, that I think everybody needs to have a counselor. Uh, everybody needs to have somebody that is a, a professional, mental health professional that can, maybe not every week, maybe not, you know, but once or twice a month, once a month, once every couple months, just checking in with somebody that can really challenge you from a mental health perspective uh, and engage uh, you in those conversations. Uh, and then what kind of friends do you have? What kind of community do you have? I think it's going to be really important as well. But I think if we're doing those things, you know, and with the journaling is being in God's word intentionally, taking time for solitude. Solitude, isolation, and loneliness are different, right? Solitude is actually how we navigate and how we reflect on our relationship with God because God meets us in the solitude. And I think the other thing too is just take stock of of how much 24, how much John Eldridge is a friend of mine and we've done a lot of work together. Um, and he says this, you know, that, that we have to find ways to disconnect from the 24 seven bombardment of information. Like we cannot have the news on all the time. I've erased all of the news apps on my phone and I've, re I've turned off all the notifications on my social media. I have to be connected social to social media just from a publicity standpoint and different things like that, but I don't have the notifications anymore. And so if we can do those things and remove ourselves from that bombardment of information, our body is not meant to be taking that much information in at all times. And so how do we find reprieve from that uh, is also going to really affect our, our mental health and the loneliness there. Wow. I love what you were saying about the um, checking in with a, a mental health professional or like a counselor. You need some of that professional insight. So I think that's that's really, really big. Um, I, I mean, probably some some jobs have allowances for that too, where people can actually like write that off, or it's even built into their job, you know, um, description where they have allowances or you know budget for that. So, I guess yeah, take advantage of it. Well, take advantage of it. I also challenge those that are listening too. How often do you go out to eat? Right, you know, and if you just replace maybe if you maybe let's say you go out to eat three times a week and you do you know a coffee three times a week. Take two of those each week and replace it with counseling. And now you're, you're paying $85, $75, $85 towards counseling. And you do it for two to three months or two to three weeks. Like I've got, a, I have a counselor, you know, personally I have a counselor and I, I was seeing her for about weekly for about six months. And then I was, you know, okay, I'm back to a place of homeostasis. I'm good. And now we check in once every quarter, you know, so it's not like it's a life sentence. It's a, like you said, it's a, it's a checkup. It's a, it's just a, let's see where we are uh, from a status standpoint. And then where do we need to go from there? It's a good, good analogy. So Mark, we're coming to the end here of our, our time together, but I want to ask you this just on, on the way out. 
the gospel is our greatest hope. Jesus is our greatest hope. Um, we are blessed by that. And I just want to hear from you, like what has been giving you hope now as you've been in this battle, you've been walking with people through mental health and, um, you know, and, and walking through COVID, what has been giving you hope these days as you look forward at the future and, and what can you encourage us with as we go? Yeah, I just think the restorative mission of Christ hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit and, and the activity of the Holy Spirit in us and in the in the body of Christ has not changed. And in fact, I'm seeing more evidence of the Holy Spirit in His work uh, in the body of Christ and in just the community in general. Um, and so I, I think the encouragement that I would have is that we need to learn to sit with the tension that is presented to us because growth truly comes out of that. But think about the times throughout history when there has been an explosion of faith. It's been in the times that have been difficult because the, 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 the fire is restored and, and rekindled in a lot of individuals. And so I think uh, we're on the cusp of great revival, in my opinion. And I think many, many hearts are going to be turning to the Lord. And so I think we just need to be prepared. And, and part of uh, the preparation is our conversation. How do we create places for people to belong before they believe. And I think that's a big, big deal of somebody coming in and being accepted for who they are as image bearers of Christ, whether they realize it or not, and allowing them to share their story and to process, I think is is huge. And so I think I just really encourage, I've been hearing more and more stories of just places of people belonging and then, and then believing. I just, I'm actually really excited about where we are in history uh, from a spiritual standpoint. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for being on the program today. And I was encouraged. I hope everyone else listening is encouraged and, you know, all the best to you and looking forward to seeing how the Lord is going to continue to use it, but also uh, use this book that you have written. Where can we get this book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can get it on uh, Tyndale House. Uh, they're publishing, uh, Nav Press Publishing, but the easiest place probably is Amazon. Uh, and uh, just look up the uh, the Path Out of Loneliness uh, by Dr. Mark Mayfield, and it's on pre-order now on Audible, Kindle. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, the Dr. Mayfield on Instagram and Facebook, or check out my website at drmayfield.com. We'll have updates on that kind of stuff as well. Um, but if you're interested in another podcast, there's also the Therapist Invitation that I host every week, um, and it's just a, a, just an in, you know we invite you into the the therapy room and we just talk about all things mental health from a biblical worldview. So. Okay, we'll make sure to check that out. Mark, thank you again, and we look forward to speaking with you again and having you back on the program. Yeah, Daniel, I appreciate it, and thanks for the work that you're doing, and I just hope this encourages a bunch of people. Thanks again to Dr. Mark Mayfield for joining us on the program. And if you want to, again, find more information, you can go to his website, just Google Dr. Mark Mayfield. And uh, also the Therapist Invitation podcast um, is going to be an interesting resource for you to take hold of and, and to listen to. And just a reminder, too, that his book is available on Amazon. That is all for now. I hope that you uh, have a great rest of your week. All the best. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry of Good News Global Media designed to speak into faith, life, and culture. 
These are challenging conversations for young men and women who have chosen lives for Jesus, while at the same time are constantly engaged by the culture and philosophies of the world around them. It causes us to ask about the relevance of the Bible, how to engage our world, how to share the gospel, and perhaps the most difficult question, how does the young follower of Jesus live a holy life? Join us each week as we dig deep into faith, life, and culture. For more information about InDoubt or to offer a gift of support to this young adult ministry, visit InDoubt.com or call 1-844-663-2424. Thanks.